happy Wednesday. Today we have a special Hella on AM to DM segment for you. We're talking power with Terrence J and Jesse Wu. So you know it's going to be a good time. We'll see you on the timeline. Oh, yeah. Yes. Cheers to that. Cheers. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Zach Safford, she's Alex Berg, and you are watching AM to DM. Let's start with this breaking news from the AP. A spokesman for Kurdish fighters in northern Syria says Turkish warplanes have started attacking the region. Whew. So we did talk about this yesterday with Hayes, and Hayes has a great clip that is on our Twitter right now if you want to do a refresh. Um, but this news is just breaking around the world, and we are going to be tracking it as we learn more on our ends for, about that. But very sad, sad time to see any type of violence break out. Absolutely. Well, here's a tweet from CBS News. Probate judge Stephen Reed has been elected mayor of Montgomery, Alabama in a runoff election against David Woods. Reed becomes the first African-American mayor in Montgomery's history. And here's a tweet from Edward Hardy. Stephen Reed has just been elected as Montgomery, Alabama's first African-American mayor. Reed was the first African-American elected as the country's probate judge in 2012. In 2015, he was the first probate judge in Alabama to issue same-sex marriage licenses. Legendary. Legendary. So legendary. History. And what makes it so great is that the person that he defied when he decided to allow folks like us to get married was none other than homophobe Roy Moore, who was uh, chief justice of that Supreme Court at the state level. So, you know, this guy's iconic, amazing. Montgomery, Alabama is the capital of Alabama and is one of the last states in the South that has never had a black mayor, even with the population being mostly black. So, you know, legends. Legend, legend. It's one of those times where you're like, both about time, but also mm -hmm. we celebrate this moment. We stand a history-making mayor who um, also served to the homophobes. Yes, so. and you know, it just gives us a lot of, it gives me pause for a second to be like, you know, there is hope in among a lot of terrible things. You know, Alabama <laughs> has had some issues yeah, for I a mean, while. We yeah. talk about like civil rights, and I mean, it is the birthplace of the civil rights movement, but you know, there are moments even in these really dark areas that you can see people push back and make change happen. I mean, Doug Jones was elected as the first Democratic senator mm -hmm. in that state too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, don't sleep on the South. I'm from there and we can change. Just give us some time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, look, it's some uh, joy in this yes. week of rough news. So let's take it to the timeline. What's inspiring you this week? Tweet us using the hashtag am to dm And I just want to say, I would love to uh, bring everyone's attention to another inspiring story that's actually happening in um, Montana. Wilmot Collins is a Liberian refugee um, and he is running for senator in that state. He is actually the first black mayor of Helena. Oh, so I know. And so that uh, that yes. primary won't happen until next June, I think. But um, but yeah, some more inspiring news. Someone's story I came across this morning and I was like, oh, that's, that's really amazing. Cool. Yeah. Look at this. There is goodness out there, even yeah. though there's more badness. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, here are two tweets from Rebecca Lopez. Dallas police looking for two suspects from Louisiana in connection with Joshua Brown murder. Brown was a witness in the Amber Geiger case. Sources say it was over a drug deal. The Dallas Police Department says that suspects came from Louisiana to buy drugs from Joshua Brown. They say Brown was shot by one of the men and then was shot by one of the other suspects. Large quantities of drugs and four grand in cash was found in Brown's apartment. As this news broke, there was an outpouring of doubt and concern. Jamil Smith tweeted, This feels like an inventive way to assassinate Joshua Brown's character. What's more unlikely, guys driving four hours to buy weed than shooting their dealer to death, or Brown testifying in open court against a former cop who killed their neighbor knowing he was a dealer? Rebecca Lopez is a reporter at WFAA-TV covering the Dallas Police Department, and she joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. So what is the latest that the Dallas police are reporting about Joshua Brown's death? 
So overnight, they arrested a second suspect, uh, 32-year-old Michael Mitchell. He was arrested in Louisiana. And uh, Joshua Brown uh, has had a history of um, problems uh, regarding uh, drugs and other criminal activity. And so he had been shot back in November. They don't think that that particularly is tied to what happened uh, over the weekend when he was uh, shot and killed. But he had been shot before at a strip club in November. And my sources are saying that they believe that that, too, was uh, drug-related. He was hesitant. Uh, my sources are saying, to testify in the Amber Geiger trial because uh, the guy that shot him back in or allegedly shot him back in November was out on bond. And so was his brother, who they believe was one of the other suspects in that shooting, was never caught. So, again, not sure, you know, at this point, they're still trying to figure out if all of this stuff is related. But he definitely had a, a criminal history involving drugs drugs and drug dealing. Mm. So tell us about if the police department was aware of this history and also why were they not around to protect him in such a recent time since this case just happened? They were aware of his, um, the prosecutors and the defense attorneys were aware of his, uh, of his history. And in fact, they asked him what he did on the stand. And he did at, at that point admit that he had a criminal record on the stand um, they asked uh, witnesses if they are concerned for their safety. He did not ask for any kind of protection, my sources are saying. Hmm. Now, there is uh, so much suspicion and concern, of course, we read that tweet uh, in the intro, um, over uh, this narrative now. Um, how are people reacting in Dallas? Well, yeah, there are just going to be people that, uh, that, you know, no matter what you report or how the facts or where the facts of the, of the case are leading, um, have their minds made up. And you know, we as journalists can't do much about that. We go where the facts take us. And at this point, what they are saying is that this, that these men had had dealings before, like he knew these guys. It's not like they just randomly picked them. It was large quantities, quantities of drugs that they were, that they were moving. It's not like they just drove from Louisiana to buy a few, um, a few joints or something. They, they were there and they believed that they were um, going to rob him. So they came down. Um, they did take a backpack that had, they believe may have had drugs in it. They don't know because um, the, they took off with the backpack and also uh, with his weapon. His weapon was missing as well. So um, now that they've arrested two people and they're looking for a third, Thaddeus Green, they hope to at some point get um, a, a bigger picture. But even one of the guys that was uh, allegedly shot by Joshua Brown that night uh, during this whole altercation. Uh, he talked to police and has given them a statement about what he says happened that evening. And they, they, he was basically robbed of, of the drugs and, and uh, his weapon. Mm. Well, last night, what, there was a police oversight meeting in Dallas. Can you tell us what happened there? Yeah, so I wasn't there, but we did have a reporter there, and that police oversight was um, set up so that citizens could voice their concerns about you know, officer-involved shootings and other concerns that they have um, with the police department. They were only going to elect um, the chairperson of that. It was the very first meeting. There were no public comments that were scheduled because it was really sort of a how, first meeting. They're going to pick the chair of that particular oversight committee. And then they were just doing sort of some housekeeping type stuff, but they were not going to take public comment. And some of the members of the public showed up. And of course, there's concern, you know, about what's happened in the Joshua, you know, with Joshua Brown and what happened with Amber Guy. 
Geiger. And so they wanted to make public comment. Uh, at that point, they said, we're not taking public comment. And they started um, shouting some of the um, the people in the, in the audience demanding to be heard. And uh, somebody called somebody a name, somebody called somebody an ignoramus or something like that. And then it went on from there and it got pretty heated. Um, my understanding is Chief Renee Hall kind of quelled everything and said, look, this is not productive. We were not going to take public comment. We are going to take public comment in future meetings, but that was not what this meeting was about. So it was pretty contentious at the end. And my, my understanding was the rest of the meeting was pretty calm before that. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. Okay, thank you. All right. Well, here's a tweet from NPR. In a landmark uh, set of cases, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments Tuesday on whether employers can legally fire people for being LGBTQ. Currently, in over half of U.S. states, there's no explicit law protecting LGBTQ people from such discrimination. Here's a tweet from Amy Howe. SCOTUS just finished oral arguments on whether federal civil rights laws protect LGBT employees. Case could hinge on Justice Neil Gorsuch, who acknowledged that question is close, but also expressed concern about, quote, massive social upheaval. Joining us to discuss is Rewire reporter Jessica mason Piclo. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Well, yesterday was a historic day at the courts for LGBTQ rights. Remind us what the central question the judges are considering was. Sure. So the court is looking at whether or not Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, that's the federal employment discrimination law, protects LGBTQ workers. So can your boss legally fire you for being gay or trans? Hmm. So talk to us a little bit more uh, about what you heard uh, yesterday in terms of the arguments. What were some notable moments there? Oh, there were a lot. To say that these cases are historic is really actually an understatement. It is clear that um, every side knows and understands what is on the line with a ruling here. We saw the conservative block of the Roberts Court come out very strong in expressing their concern about uh, what they would see as legislating from the bench should they read these uh, protections into Title VII. And then we saw in the attorneys for the employees making a very clear and direct case about how discrimination on the basis of sex naturally encompasses discrimination on the basis of your sexual orientation or your gender identity, that those are concepts that cannot be uh, unwoven from one another. So there were some, there were some fireworks around that. You mentioned uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch. He of the conservatives seemed the most inclined to hear the employee side, but I would take that with a grain of salt. He is still first a conservative uh, justice, and I would be surprised if he uh, joined the liberals in this case. Mm. Well, Jessica, you know, this case is so historic for all of us here. And can you walk us through what would happen if the courts rule against these plaintiffs? Sure. So a broad ruling that Title VII of the Civil Rights Act does not protect LGBTQ employees would have the immediate impact of calling, of um, erasing those protections that um, in those places that uh, where federal law is the only protection. And there are several appellate court decisions, for example, in the Sixth Circuit that was up there. Uh, those are states like Ohio, Kentucky, where federal law currently does protect uh, LGBTQ employees. Uh, so that would be very bad, clearly. Um, it would leave employment protections up to state levels. And what we're seeing, though, are a coordinated attack by conservatives on those state level protections, too. So I would anticipate that the fight over employment rights at the state would not be um, settled as well. There's the possibility that the court could split the difference. 
there's a possibility that they could rule, for example, that sexual orientation discrimination is covered under Title VII, but gender identity discrimination is not covered. That would be a mess as well, because again, we've got a patchwork. Um, but additionally, a broad ruling would impact nearly everybody. The arguments that were made there were in defense of things like sex-specific dress codes. And it doesn't matter if you are LGBTQ, if your employer has a sex-specific dress code. We had the Trump administration defending that effectively in court. So we could roll back in employment policies to uh, what Pam Carlin, who was one of the attorneys for the employees, described as the days of Mad Men where we are uh, setting employment policies based on gender stereotypes. And that's really what's at issue here. Hmm. Now, uh, this uh, case marks the first time uh, Brett Kavanaugh uh, has heard uh, an LGBTQ case, um, you know, as justice. Um, so what did we hear from him yesterday? Basically nothing. He asked one question in the entire two hours of oral arguments, and it was a question about uh, what type of uh, statutory analysis the uh, challengers were putting forward. And so I would not expect him to be movable on these issues at all. He, like I said, he was quiet. He said nothing. He was mostly stone-faced. The most active judges or justices in the questioning were definitely Justice Gorsuch, uh, Justice Kagan, and uh, Justice Ginsburg with a little bit of Roberts and Alito thrown in there to boot. Well, I wish that we could keep on talking about this, but we are out of time. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Mm. Well, we have a great show for y'all today. Later on, Alex sits down with the cast of Freestyle Love Supreme. But up next is Fire Tweets. Fire! Fire! Welcome back. Um, we've been remiss to mention that you're doing an entire segment on Robin later on. <laughs> <laughs> I was so nervous at what you were about to say. I was like, "Remiss for what?" Because I feel like I'm about, I'm about to be dragged with some of these tweets we're reading. So you, are, like, you are. So you I was are. like, "Girl, what are you about to say about me?" <laughs> but yes, yes, Robin is later. We have a treat for y'all. Y'all gonna yeah. hear some Robin. I'm, well, you won't hear it because we can't afford Robin, but you'll hear me talk about. Yes, it. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, Sophie, you tweeted. I have a high pain tolerance, but the Apple alarm clock is next level. Ooh. And I just have to say, whenever I hear the sound of the alarm clock, like I shudder. I have a really visceral physical reaction to this. I don't know why people use that alarm sound for their phone or text or whatever, because I've been in public and heard it and like almost dropped everything. I'm like, no, because you think you're in a dream. Well, I think I'm in it's a dream. Terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> like, the worst feeling. Wait, did I just dream this whole terrible ass day up and now I gotta do it again? So yeah, change your ringtones, please, people. Keep mm -hmm. that for the morning. Mm -hmm. All right, Sarah, you treat it. No one, not a single soul. Me, I think I should get two bottles of wine just in case. Okay, so can I'm you gonna... explain this one to me? Because I, it says no one, not a single soul. I, I, do people not want two bottles of wine just in case? Well, Alex, we can have a private conversation <laughs> about what it means when you buy two bottles of wine for yourself on a Tuesday night. Okay, okay, that is a little, but I'm like, you know, just in case. like Just, just in case. Girl, it's a know. Tuesday night. Like, I what mean, are you doing? Know. What requires two bottles of wine? I would not come to work if I had two bottles of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's me, and I can, you know, I can Oof, hold it. Yeah. <laughs> Truly Ali, you tweeted. My single ass laying in bed at night, role-playing scenarios in my head where someone actually loves me and accepts me. Wow, I love the live footage from my bedroom. <laughs> it's really good. I was gonna say, I don't know what this feels like, but maybe you can tell everyone. <laughs> 
She's mean. Y'all see it? It comes out sometimes. It feels terrible, Alex. Okay. Not all of us have a Lisa to go home to who loves to cocktail and eat food that's all, and that's go to movies. I went and saw a movie by myself last night. I know you did. With no Lisa. I know. I imagined that the bro next to me was my man for two minutes. Oh my God. I was like, okay. what would it be like? <laughs> I'm I, I feel a little bad now. I'm kidding. Don't feel bad. Right. It's my life. Chris, you treated. <laughs> me trying to pay all my bills and save money at the same time. <laughs> I mean, isn't it the truth, though? Oh, I'm really getting dragged today. <laughs> I, I really love this tweet because it's just like, you're like, this is completely fruitless and pointless. Like, I'm trying to... Well, the world is no. ending, so... Yeah. Save right. what? Tweet of the day. Comes from Cybrat. My ex, what you doing? Me. Everything you accuse me of. This shit lit. Ooh. Which is <laughs> the truth. Your ex is like, you a hoe. Be like, no, but I'm about like, to be, girl. Yeah, or you're like, you haven't even seen anything. <laughs> Out here in these streets. I think yesterday we brought up the Snapchat. People go through a breakup. Yes, and, and they, they do. like And they get what, really yeah. crazy on Snapchat. I feel like this is a similar taste or a similar theme of like breakups. And I guess breakups do happen in the fall before the holidays. Is that so? like cuffing and then like holidays, you're like, shit, I don't want to bring this person home you're tomorrow. Like, oh, I guess. No, I have to say, I think I have just engaged in like your garden variety acting out, like okay. breaking up and then being like, I'm going to go party, you know, that kind of thing. I meet a, meet a lot of different people. Yes. You know, nothing or buy, like. Buy two bottles of wine on a or Tuesday. Or buy two bottles of wine on a Tuesday. Have They're, probably done that one. So. <laughs> well, let's take it to the timeline. What is something you did to celebrate or mourn a breakup? Let us know with the hashtag AM to DM. Anything for you? Yesterday, I told people I just work more. That's why I have thou a thousand jobs. That's how many times my heart's been broken. Oh. I'm kidding. That's not the case. All right. God, I'm really going through something I know. You today. are. You are. We're moving along. <laughs> Later, I'm sitting down with the cast of Freestyle Love Supreme. More AM to DM is next. Oh. Here's a treat from Variety. In Ronan Farrow's new book, a former NBC News employee alleges that at 2014 Sochi Olympics, Laura raped her in his hotel room. Here's a tweet from Slate. Ronan Farrow writes that NBC executives downplayed the employee's allegations internally and were generally obstructive throughout the reporting process. And here's a tweet from Brian Stelter. New statement from NBC. Matt Lauer's conduct was appalling, horrific, and reprehensible, as we said at the time. That's why he was fired within 24 hours of us first learning of the complaint. Our hearts break again for our colleague. Lauer denies the allegations. Through a statement from his lawyer, he said, quote, In a new book, it is alleged that an extramarital but consensual sexual encounter I have previously admitted having was in fact an assault. It is categorically false, ignores the facts, and defies common sense. It is wild. Watching that clip this morning of the Today Show talking about this, which is where Matt worked, um, and seeing how Savannah and his other colleagues were having to read about this and kind of deal with the fact that they live through this and have to live through it every day was just heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. And it was at the very end of that clip, um, you know, Savannah turns to Hoda and she's like taking a moment. And the big thing it made me think about is that even though Lauer is gone from the show, mm -hmm. even though, uh, you know, various men uh, who have uh, acted improperly um, at media companies are gone, oftentimes it still falls on the women to be dealing with the aftermath of these yes. things. And you can just see the pain that it, mm -hmm. it, it caused all of them and that it yeah. continues to cause. Yeah, and it's also, it feels like Savannah and Hoda and everyone else there is having to clean up the mess mm. that is the fault of other executives and people that are above their pay 
grades. I know their pay grades are high, but it's people much higher than them. And they're expected to sit on that set every day. And when Matt makes news, talk about it in a way that's calm and collected and talks about it evenly when it's not even for them. This is something that they are, you know, part of the victimization of what Matt mm-hmm. did to so many women in that building. Because these are their friends. These are their families. This is so many people close to them. And it reminds you that, you know, in this Me Too moment, it's not just about the singular acts that people are mm-hmm. reporting, but it's about how those acts have rippled through their whole lives and continue to be something they have to deal with every day. Mm-hmm. And the predators that did this do not have to deal with it. Matt does not have to go on set every day and deal with what he did every day mm-hmm. in front of the public, which is not fair. And what it speaks to is that it's a bigger cultural issue and a systemic mm-hmm. issue around power. And you just think about how power works to um, enable this kind of behavior mm-hmm. um, and to essentially create a system where people have very little recourse. Um, and it's really, really hard to speak up and uh, accuse someone yeah. in such a big position of power. So, you know, you think about how there are all these cultural forces that work to keep people quiet so that they never come forward with mm-hmm. their story or so that they're punished when they come forward with their story. And sometimes, you know, even though we're two years into the um, uh, Me Too um, movement. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it still feels like such a David and Goliath kind yeah. of situation, or it still feels like so incredibly hard. And I'm always asking myself, mm-hmm. like, how much progress have we actually made? Um, how much has the Me Too movement actually um, trickled into other spaces and other jobs um, outside of media, outside of Hollywood, um, beyond uh, women in, in positions of privilege? Yeah, so. yeah. And I think it's it's getting there, but you know, it's still not enough. Yeah. The fact that this story is coming out, and I'm sure there's a whole group of people out there that are defending Matt, like they always do, yeah. and not listening to the story of this woman, which is very brave of her to come forward in Ronan Farrow's new book, which is out, I guess, next week, I believe, yeah. very soon. And it has, uh, according to people like Ashir Ali, who have read the book, there are even more explosive details about Mount Lauer and that. Yeah. So we will keep you up to date as we also learn more about that. We sure will. Well, up next, we're going to cleanse the timeline. I think we all deserve a little yes. bit of joy and celebration at this moment. So I'll be sitting down with the cast of Freestyle of Supreme. The New York Times called Freestyle Love Supreme a perfect fit for Broadway. And Rolling Stone called it a pure joy. (laughs) Anthony Minziale, Utkarsh Ambudkar, and Anissa Folds are the reasons for that joy. And I'm like having to try to keep it together because I know how hilarious all of you are. (laughs) Welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Alex. So I was lucky enough to get to see the show last week, and I was just blown away by your ability to improv, to freestyle, to run with whatever word the audience um, threw out at you. So how would you all describe the show? Um, (laughs) Perfect for Broadway. (laughs) It's nothing like you've ever seen on a Broadway stage before, that's for sure. I've never seen anything like it, but it's special and... I think the people love it, and that's why they are getting such good reviews. Yeah. I think so. I've, well, Anthony created the show. What was the, what was, uh, the uh, impetus behind it? What inspired this? Uh, oh, my God. I'm, good. I'm like, I'm done. I'll see you guys. I'll see you and later. And why did it take yeah. so long to get to Broadway? <laughs> wow. Uh, thanks for the question. Um, what inspired this uh, I believe when we first started it, it was mostly about expressing difference of opinion and perspective and having like fun people do that. So during breaks from In the Heights, when Lynn was first working on that, I would sort of uh, go into the room and we would freestyle together. And out of that, it was just like, this is too fun. We're really just enjoying ourselves. This might be good in front of people as well. But we never, well, I never dreamed it would go to Broadway. No. That was not the goal of the show. (laughs) Who is audacious enough to be like, yes, there's been one improv show on Broadway, Nichols and May. That'll be us as well. Like, 
there's there's no real blueprint for for improv on Broadway. So yeah. it was not a dream. So I know everything is happening on the fly in the show, but is there any rehearsal process or preparation process? Yeah, I mean, yeah. we rehearse, rehearse the structure of it. It's very loosely structured, so we'll do um, the different games, and that was really fun to do in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, and Ukarsh can speak to this one yeah. because he wasn't there for any of this rehearsal. He right? wasn't. No, we met. No. <laughs> no, I've graduated <laughs> to showing up during previews <laughs> and learning on the fly. I, I played myself into game shape. Still getting there. Still getting there. Well, so much of the Sean show Payton. is so much of the show is based on um, the audience's creativity and yes. what they're going to come up with. So, what are the moments like before you're walking on stage? Do you feel adrenaline or anticipation? Well, there's an excitement. There's an extreme excitement. It used to be fear. Anthony will tell you that I used to get ex- extremely nauseous. And mm-hmm. Lynn and I, Lynn, who's not here today, but like our stomachs tend to rumble. Bubble gut is a big problem. But um, what you get is we, we take the audience's phones away, which we've just begun doing, which creates this amazing community atmosphere. And it becomes sort of this ama- uh, this familial energy. I would even call it ritualistic here on BuzzFeed, (laughs) which is a scary word, but I think uh, the audience feels empowered to sort of be part of the show, and we can't do it without them, which is what makes it so exciting. As a new member, I will say that I am terrified every time, (laughs) and that has not left me yet. I have not graduated. And it shouldn't. No, I'm I'm scared. right with you. Um, It's just, you're walking into the unknown every single time, and that's also what makes it so beautiful. But yeah. it's scary. Well, <laughs> we try to put some ritual in place so that we can then perform to the best mm-hmm. of our ability. So that, you know, you start building these like neural networks that say, oh, I'm about to do this thing. For example, Anissa, during our first warm up <laughs> before we went on for previews, uh, just for some reason sang this amazing little hook that now we all mm-hmm. do before we mm-hmm. go on stage. Good friends are the giving best. Giving it away. So good friends. TMs. I think it was only five seconds. We're allowed to do five seconds of any yeah. song, so, yeah. so we're okay. Well, on the night that. that the night that I was on the show, um, right out of the gates, uh, the audience got political. Um, I think collude was the first word mm. um, of the night. Are you wow. are you surprised that people get political from the jump? You were there on Tuesday, October first. I was. Wow, that is like really he, great memory. Yeah, yes. photographic. Yeah. Scary. I don't understand. Uh, so, yeah. So, that was like our last preview. That was our last preview. Yeah. Um, people are hungry. It's on their minds. Mm-hmm. Even though their phones are put away, they still have, I think, some of that residual, oh my gosh, this is an overwhelming moment in the history of the United States. Impeachment's on their mind. We try to get some of that out of the way at the beginning by saying, hey, here's examples. Because every mm-hmm. audience has been saying it. So we try to use those words as our examples now. Mm-hmm. We never repeat ourselves in shows. So we have mm-hmm. never done the same verb twice. So, I, right? I, yeah, and I also think that like there are surface level topics that all of us feel like we sort of relate on politics, weather, mm-hmm. uh, family, maybe. But like what we try to do, so at the beginning of the show, politics and, and like the MTA and sort of New York <laughs> life is very much at the surface. And then as we develop the show, we hope that the audience can get deeper and more honest, more intimate, Mm -hmm. and uh, more open with us. And generally that happens. And the suggestions become a lot less about politics and more about their personal lives. Cilantro. Yes. Every single show. I mean, a very galvanizing topic. (laughs) Is there anything that would be off limits for you or you would just be like, oh, that's not gonna get us anywhere. Like, that's not a good topic. Yeah, several things. <laughs> I mean, we try, it's called Freestyle Love Supreme. Mm-hmm. And so anything that's sort of based in sort of, you know, hate speech or exclusion, yeah. um, any problem, the normal problem areas, we try and stray away from. We, we're there, it's low-hanging fruit, you know? 
we try to uh, hold ourselves to a higher standard and our audience as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so every single night on the show, there is a guest who joins you. Um, I was so lucky to be there the night that Lynn uh, joined you. If folks don't know, he, of course, is behind Hamilton. Um, I want to And tur- Sex in the City, and, too. Oh, also yep. very, very important film. Um, yep. mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I kind of want to turn this on you, you all a little bit. Um, every single night in the show, the audience has to throw out one word. But I want to hear one word from each of you about how you would describe Lynn. Hmm. Huh. Well, it's a good one. <laughs> I would say nuclear. Ooh. I would say normal. I'm a fan. I was a fan of the group before I joined the group. I was a fan of Lynn before I met Lynn. And just meeting him, I was like, oh, hi. You're just such a friendly dude. She doesn't know him well enough yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> he is. Um, he's a very loving, down-to-earth human being. Oh, yeah, he is so sweet. Uh, I would say um, <sighs> humble. Mm-hmm. I'm always just so surprised that he... Agreed. Yeah, so we all, I think a bunch of us say this to each other, like, he's doing celebrity really well. Mm-hmm. He's helping to rebuild the infrastructure of Puerto Rico, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he, and he's got two very down-to-earth kids. Um, his partner is amazing and much smarter than he is. It's like the rest <laughs> of us. Like, you know, most of us are with other people who are just so much brighter <laughs> than we are. Mm-hmm. It's so. true. What do I do with my hands? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Anissa, I want to talk to you specifically. You were discovered at the the Freestyle of Supreme Academy. Mm -hmm. um, And you actually tweeted that you went from being a musical theater nerd to uh, and wanting to get an autograph from Lynn to then, of course, starring with him. Mm -hmm. Um, What has that journey been like? Um, It's been crazy. (laughs) (laughs) If you would have told me this was going to happen to little Anissa, she would be like, why are you lying? <laughs> um, it's it's wild. I couldn't imagine this. I, these guys, I've looked up to them for so long, and now they're my friends, and we say, we got your back before every show, and it's true, and I don't know. It's it's really crazy that I am doing this thing where I am myself, mm. and I come from a musical theater background, and that's mm. not always what you get to do. You have to look a certain way or be a certain thing, but I am being myself entirely, and it's just... The first time that uh, <laughs> I got to work with Anissa was on stage yeah. in front of an audience, wow. and it was mind-blowing. She is, her voice is so exceptional. The honesty and the truth that she speaks with, and just your, your skill level is like out of this world. It's like this is a diamond in the rough kind of uh, art form, and you are very much that. It's, a, it's exceptional to have you be a part of the group. Oh, my gosh. We are so lucky that Anissa is yeah, a part of this group. She's, you're way overqualified for this. <laughs> oh my God, thank you guys. Okay, so we're running out of time. I'm, <laughs> oh, I, have only, I, have question, I have time oh. for one more question for you. Um, but I was, like, I was sitting in the audience with my wife and we were just like cracking up <laughs> so hard. How do you keep it together? Like when, when one Not of you always. does something really, yeah, I'm yeah, like, we how, don't. yeah. We don't keep it together. No. I think part of our show is us also watching each other. You know, like there are moments where we're kind of quote unquote on the side, you know, like an improv, sometimes you're on scene and sometimes you're off scene. And I will be laughing just as hard as the audience sometimes at the antics or the incredible rhyme that someone just made. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, yeah, we're not supposed to keep it together. We're supposed to show the audience that it's okay to laugh. Like we're all here to enjoy it together. You know, we're- Chris we're, Jackson threatens to leave the stage like, Constantly. Uh, uh, yeah. Because he's really? laughing. Because <laughs> he's <laughs> laughing. Yeah. Well, so fun. The, unfortunately, we are out of time. This has been so much fun. Thank you all so much for joining me. You talk Thank too. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. thanks. 
If you don't want to miss these three on Free Style Love Supreme on Broadway, up next, Sylvia Hanks with Terrence J and Jesse Wu and the Good friends are the best that we are. Good Please friends stop. are the best that we love. Just let them take it out, you know? Go, Alex. You are the best. Go, Alex. Go, Alex. It's early. Welcome back. Stars' hit drama Power is finally coming to an end after six wild seasons. From its theme song to its unforgettable characters, the show has cemented itself in the culture forever. So it's worth us unpacking about, okay? So here to break down the show's cultural impact with me is host of Power Confidential, the series' official after show, Terrence J, and journalist and singer Jesse Wu. Hey, guys. Hey. Let's cheers to a good show. Yeah. Mimosas. Cheers. 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 Okay, so let's get into it. Let's unpack. For the past six seasons, I feel like Power has really managed to infiltrate the culture in a way few shows manage. Um, why do you guys think it's had the impact it's had? I think, first of all, that theme song. Say <laughs> this in the big rich town. Like, it's like when that, I remember just first hearing it and thinking, wow. And I wasn't even living in New York yet. I was mm-hmm. still living in Miami. So just watching the show made me want to live in New York, made me want to mm-hmm. get married to a drug dealer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> So it just—I don't know. It just—it just—it just sunk into my spirit, and I just—I loved it. I loved it yeah. from day one. Yeah. I feel like it felt like it filled a hole that we were kind of missing. Like at the time, we were kind of didn't have like a a drug crime drama. You know, the wire was over, right. and we were kind of like you know, Narcos was a big thing at the time, but it wasn't black and in New York. Yeah. And I think like it really focused on like it felt hip hop. It felt like us. It was something wild enough that we could tweet about like crazy. Terrible. Well, you know, that's the test. The, the writers uh, and, and just everybody on this show does an incredible job of mm-hmm. tapping into the culture. Mm-hmm. So from what Frank Fleming does on the style side, yes. making all of the outfits yes. look just like True. us, to the aspirational nature of what Ghost is trying to do is something we can all relate to. We all right. have what we're doing and what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And I just think when you put in 50 Cent and, and, and the music and that vibe and then Courtney Kemp and her her team with the visionary uh, things that they're doing. It's just one of those iconic shows that yeah. just taps into who we are. Jack. Yeah, and shout out to Courtney Kemp because get a black woman as your showrunner and you two can have success. I'm telling you make you. everything great. I'm telling you. So despite having such a large and devoted audience, one thing that struck me over the past six uh, seasons is how critics and mainstream culture t- continue to snub the show. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't believe they haven't had an Emmy yet. Like, why do you guys think that this has been, it's one of those things where it fits so strongly in our audience range, but like, it's still not getting the critic recognition it deserves. You know, sometimes something is is so real, it takes the world a little bit of time to catch up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Power speaks to us in a way that many shows can't relate to. And sometimes when you're one of the first shows, and and like, I would say the only show right now that's doing it like that, that's really hitting those social cues, hitting those social references. Mm -hmm. Sometimes with with mainstream, uh, they don't look at it in in that same regard. But I mean, the show's been blowing up. Since I've been doing comedy, Confidential, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You've been holding whether, that down too. Oh, yes. I appreciate it. Yes. You know, young, old, white, black, everybody has been falling into place. So hopefully, you know, the award shows will, will start to to recognize how dope power really is. We, Give them what they we, deserve. We know why. 
Okay. Okay, tell us why, Jesse. We know why. It's why? It's, it's too black. It's just, it's too black. I mean, <laughs> it's like, it's so, um, it's for the culture. Right. But what I don't like about the, them being snubbed, it, it's clearly something that impacts all races and all walks of life. Everybody's watching this show. When you go on Twitter, it's, like you said, even the people that watch um, the, the after show, it's young and old, it's white, black, Hispanic, mm-hmm. and even when you watch the show itself, it includes so many races. Yeah. But still, the, the main cast members are black. Mm-hmm. And we're still in this time, unfortunately, where black shows and black content is still getting snubbed. Yeah. But it's all right, though. You know, black Twitter held it down every Sunday. We, right. we tweeting up. <laughs> we you know, they're going to get their check regardless. Listen, so. all I know is it's not pretty when you owe 50 cents something. So give him the award <laughs> okay. he needs before it's over. Just a suggestion on my part to okay. the people, okay? Well, here's a tweet from Cute Uni Dimple. My favorite scene on Power is when Ghost rolled over and Tasha wasn't there. Got him. Mm. I want to talk moments with you guys about what were some of your favorites, okay? So, like, over the past six seasons, there has been so many, like, show-making moments, Mm -hmm. whether it was crazy deaths or amazing fight scenes or plot twists. What were some of your favorites? Like, I remember when we found out Kanan was a lot. Like, you remember when we thought Kanan was dead? Yes. (laughs) Like, for a whole moment. Um, What were some of your favorites? When Angela got shot. I loved it. (laughs) You loved loved it? it. I loved it. I was like, yes, kill her. (laughs) Finally. Damn. What took so long? Like, I I was was ready for her to die a little while ago. I was happy she (laughs) finally died. But then she came back in a vision. I was like, okay, so she really ain't gone? What's going on? Like, People are mad when there are deaths on this show. No, I was like, like, well, that, I, was, I have been mad, but I'm telling you, Proctor hurt more than Angela oh, for me. Proctor was a painful death. Proctor oh. hurt my soul. And the way the way he went out, that scene was beautifully shot. Yeah, and, they ruined and the whole big. house. Yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> that's such an iconic set piece. Yeah, the house. And <clears throat> Courtney said, you know, this was the time of the show for those iconic moments. Mm-hmm. The Mustang. The mm-hmm. penthouse. It's time for everything Things to go. This on. is a yeah. garage show. Everything <laughs> must go. <laughs> it's a garage sale. So, uh, that was really fun to watch. But yeah, I mean, from Kanan's death to Raina's death. Oh, oh baby. You know, the villains, <laughs> like Lobos, are incredible. Yes. Uh, oh, that's so true. Oh my gosh, Lobos was such an iconic character too. Yeah. And how he died. Like, that was just, I don't know. Sean dying by his own dad. Yes. I mean, you know, this show, what I, what I love to say is I always have to have my therapy and my, <laughs> my bed's ready. Yes. Because the, the writing room, as soon as they take you down a path mm-hmm. and you're in love with the character, you're in love with the storyline, they'll just pull that rug yes. right from under you. I'm telling you, it's, it's and I think especially with like, whether it was Kanan killing his own son, Sean, or Raina, the baby girl, the family, or the middle child, the family getting shot by like a police officer. It showed us that they were not afraid to push the boundaries and go there. And when the show can go there, it's like all, like everything's all, like nothing's safe. No. No whole And the memes go wild every time. How many funeral programs have been produced from this show? I love how every episode when you you see Black Twitter is like, all right, what we bringing to the funeral? (laughs) Who bringing the check soda? (laughs) In power universe, anybody could die. I could die on power. Yeah, no, seriously. I'm not here for that. I'm not here the host. They could kill me on power confidential. <laughs> Next week, it'll be a new host. I'm telling anybody you. Could die Nobody's saying. In the power universe. Well, I want to talk about the show's leading man for a minute. James St. Patrick, played by Omari Hardwick, who has completely killed this role. Yeah, he did. Um, he's gone. He's a complicated leading man. Mm. And I really feel like 
if anybody has gone through as much transition of like hero to anti-hero, it's really Jamie. And it's hard to know if we're still rooting for him or not. So I want to ask you, like, are you guys still rooting for James? Hell no. <laughs> He Why not? Die. Why not? I Jesse? would love him. Really? Or not. You yes. would like, you want Ghost to die? Yes, I do. Why? He's the reason for all of this. Oh, who do you want to live? That's the nobody. I want to survive <laughs> is Tasha and her wigs because she's the <laughs> only person <laughs> her wig collection. And her wig collection. That's everybody This is the finale. Good fun. Okay. Man, she wants everybody to die. Yes. You know, I, I still, I think that with Ghost's journey, right, and we watch him go through so many ebb and flows and ups and downs, I'm still rooting for him, man. He, mm -hmm. He's a guy from Southside, Jamaica, Queens. Right. You know, his his environment has dictated a lot of who he is. Mm -hmm. he's, he's smart, but he's gone through so much. He's gone through a lot of death. He lost his child. He lost a lot of people in his, his life. Fault. And so, you know, is it, is it his fault? It was his I mean, fault. some of it, not all of it, but I hear you. And I do think that, and I heard this actually on Power Confidential when Courtney Kemp was saying that they're making Ghost have the opposite of the Midas touch, which is like everything mm -hmm. he loves and touches turns to dust mm -hmm. versus gold. And I thought that was brilliant because we are seeing everything that he's holding the closest disappear from yep. him. And, and what I will say to that point, um, when, when I spoke with Courtney Kemp and I, I said the same thing, mm -hmm. I was like, man, it's this person's fault that that person died mm -hmm. or that person's fault that what, what Courtney will say is that for every character, those characters made decisions mm -hmm. that led to their death, right? Mm -hmm. Raina was a kid. Uh, Raina what did Raina do? Raina should not Raina have been talking back to that cop. First of all, Raina <laughs> could have told her parents. Raina could have yes. got help. So y'all gonna Raina blame Ray Ray? Raina went to a Lord. crooked drug dealing cop and decided to confront him about a crime. Uh -uh. Right? You so know you like screamed every, to Raina, why are you yeah, saying this? Every single person. <laughs> she was a child. She was a child. Like, yeah, if, I, if it was Young you, and dumb. wouldn't you tell your parents? <laughs> Like, think about it in real life. I, would tell, I got Caribbean parents. Going, I would tell mama. Was oh. he out dark at night running up on people? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, don't be running up on strangers. Like, I know you blackmailing my brother. True. Like, no, girl. No, 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 but no, no. she was looking out for her She brother. was. I mean, she was a great kid. Unfortunately, she had. She made the wrong choice. I wanted, but you guys, you're talking about polarizing things. And I think that's the beauty of the characters that are written. We feel so passionately about them. And for me, two of the most annoying Got to go, but they're so good at their job. Characters are Tyreek and Dre. Oh, I thought you were going to say Keisha, because Keisha got... No, well, I mean, but from start <laughs> to finish, Keisha, Keisha just got a little annoying this season. Keisha. But, like, Dre and Tyreek... Oh, my gosh. I feel like they get the most tweets. Here's a tweet from Shenanigans. Love your Twitter name. <laughs> Any role Tyreek plays after power, I'll probably still have... I'll probably still hate him. Yep. He has caused too much damage <laughs> over the years. Yep. I true. mean, and I told him to me to his face. I was like, bruh, Dre has got to go. No, they, they both got to go. My thing with Tariq, he didn't get, he didn't get whippings. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, they got, they were a big rich town. They, they got rich. They, they tried got to corn. rape him bougie. They right. They gave that bougie uh, upbringing. They didn't, yeah. they didn't bring out the belt enough for Tariq. <laughs> and that's my thing. Like, Tariq, it's like this season alone, every episode, I'm like, just kill him. Just, like, last just week, kill I'm like, him. Just kill, I, I know, let him but die. I do know that when Raina died, we were like, no, he, he got to go. Taking Tariq Lord. Ever since, <laughs> no, ever since that happened, when God made that mistake, I really feel like God made a mistake in that moment. God makes no mistake, Jesse. So I felt like he needs to go. Drake can go too. Drake, but Drake's going to get himself killed. I love both of these characters. <laughs> no. They make the show fun to watch. 
You got to keep up. Well, you, you never know. If you don't have the bad guys, there's nothing to root for, right? It's true. It's true. And, and for me, it's like, you look at Tariq, man. He grew up with both of his parents drug dealing, yeah. lying to him in his house. It's yeah. true. As a kid, there's going to be collateral damage there. Yeah. And for Dre, I mean, yeah, Dre is a snake, but Dre is, <laughs> Dre is a snake. He's a survivor. He is. You know, he has to go after his. He is a survivor. You know, we're going to learn a lot about Dre this season. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to for, for about people Dre. to see the, the journey of Dre. I love those scenes. Yeah. But uh, before we go, I have to ask you guys, because this season seems like it's a race between Ghost and Tommy to the end. Mm-hmm. Jesse, if you had to predict who will end up on top between Ghost and Tommy, who would you choose? I'm rooting for Tommy. You're rooting for Tommy? I'm rooting for Tommy because Tommy has something that Ghost doesn't have. What's he has that? loyalty. Ooh! He has loyalty. Ghost is only <laughs> loyal to Ghost and that crooked hairline. Ah! Tommy! <laughs> What? Jesse! Come on, we need a, a clip of ghost hair line. Come on, Omari. Omari asked for this. Somewhere there's a barber on the other power. I'm going to drag ghost because ghost had Tommy kill his own dad. I mean, that was That is, if that's not loyalty, so I'm rooting for Tommy. Tommy, go and get yours. Kill everybody, but leave Tasha. And y'all ride to the sunset. I mean, I don't know if we've ever loved the white man more than Tommy. No, never just have. as a black culture no, on TV. Have. Like, Gary Tommy Owen. is really one of us. Oh, it's true, it's true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gary Owens, Gary. <laughs> Shout out to Gary it's true. Owens. But Tommy's <laughs> like that, that cousin, like that bro. Yeah. He's like family. It's different. Howard does a really good job of making any any diverse race like lovable. Because I love, right. I thought Proctor was just as lovable. Yes. Oh, my you know, gosh. It's I true, love yes. the Serbians. I love everybody. Everybody. This is every, everybody. everybody. It's Mexican family. cartel. Everybody. It's good stuff. And I, I'm so sad that it's going to be over, but I'm excited to see what the spinoff show is going to be Me like too. and what we'll see from there. Um, I, for one, just cannot wait to see who wins at the end, who's alive at the end. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for joining me today. This has been such a fun thank conversation. You. Um, and more AM to DM is up next. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday, after a heated debate on the AM to DM set, I tweeted, is dancing on your own or call your girlfriend a more iconic Robin song? Pitchfork's collection of the best songs of the decade had us thinking about Robin's prolific impact on the music industry, which is why she's our Woman Crush Wednesday. Mm-mm-mm. And joining me to honor Robin and talk about how much of an impact her music has had on our lives is Sam Sanders, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute and a Dear Friend. Hi, Sam. Hey. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Where's that dog? I heard the dog was behind you. <laughs> she is literally on the couch. I don't know if you can see her. She's knocked out from that dog park yesterday, but oh. she says hi. Hi, Zora says hi. Zora, <laughs> hi, Zora. Good to see you. Uh, well, first and foremost, dancing on my own or call your girlfriend. Which one are you choosing today? <laughs> dancing on my own, for sure. And you know why, Zach. I actually wrote... Uh, and reported a really big piece on why it's one of the greatest pop songs of the decade. Um, I spent months uh, talking to songwriters behind it, talking to folks that love the song, and I really think it stands the test of time more than any other Robin song. I stand by that. Mm, But what do you think makes it such a good breakup song? Yeah, so I think it's wonderful because it's this exercise in juxtaposition. So the song starts, and it 
immediately sounds very happy. This four to the floor beat, these happy familiar chords, and then you hear the lyrics and it's actually a sad song. And there's a special place in my heart for songs that sound happy that are actually sad. And Robin does that really well with this song. It's also quite simple and sparse. So when the verse starts, she says a few words, uh, somebody says you got a new friend, and then there's seconds of space between those next lyrics that she gives you. The whole song only has about 130 words, which gives you all this space to put your story on top of it. Mm-hmm. I think the best pop works when it's sparse enough to give you space for your own experience to kind of merge with their own, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also this song that is about loneliness, but with everyone that I talk to who loves this song, it manages to bring them into communion with other folks. People play this song at wedding receptions, even though it's a breakup song. There's a video of random people dancing to this song on the subway platform. Everyone I talk to says this song about being alone actually brings them together. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful gift in that way. Mm, and it is a quite a good gift. But are there any <laughs> other songs that resonate with you just as much as this one from Robin? From Robin, I mean, I like the early teen pop era Robin before she went kind of darker. So like Show Me Love, that's a bop, you know, that's beautiful. But I think um, what makes Anson on my own work is that she takes that same teen pop sensibility, simple straight ahead songwriting that's very earnest, but she gave it this really adult smart production. So you hear this song full of teen emotion, but it sounds like a grown-up song. And it's hard to pull that off. And I think Robin can do it because she was a teen pop star before she is what she is now. But in terms of Robin's songs, period, most of them are great, as you know. I mean, find a bad Robin song, can't do it. Amen. There are really no bad Robin songs, which makes me think, how how was she able to engineer a career that started as a teenager? And it came out like 1997, I think was when her first bop hit, or 1993. Um, But now it's since today. Why do you think she's so, like, I guess got stain power in a way? Yeah. So I talked to a few critics and folks that have worked with her before when I researched this story. And the thing that Robin did that really helped her career is after a few years of making teen pop, she just said, "Okay, I'm done. And she said, I will not be controlled by my label. I will not be forced to have this image. I will make my own label and I'll do it my own way. So she started Konnichiwa Records. And that is when we began to see the Robin that we know now. But I talked to a critic, Sasha Geffen at Pitchfork, and she says that once you're trained up in the art of teen pop, you take that sensibility and that structure and that work ethic with you. So the beauty of Robin is that she is able to meld both an indie sensibility from having her own label doing her own sound with this teen pop training uh, and sensibility that gives every song that she makes this accessibility that is kind of almost childlike and pure, um, she gives you the best of both worlds. Mm. She is an indie artist, but she also has the nuts and bolts of that teen pop training. Mm. And that makes me think of her album, Honey, that came out in 2018. It really kind of fits into what you're saying. And it was her first album since, you know, eight years ago. And I would love to know, what are you looking for her to do next after the success of that album? I think what I really hope she keeps doing is to keep doing live performances. She is one of the most exciting, invigorating live shows I've ever seen in my life. And whenever you go to a show of hers, whenever you see a show of hers, it is a religious experience. So I hope whatever she does, she keeps doing that. But I think that with Honey, we saw her really depart even more from that teen pop sensibility. She's talked about purposely making an album full of great beats with very few hooks. Um, This is kind of her experimental phase, but I think 
at her core, at her heart, Robin wants to make songs that bring us all together. So I fully expect that whatever she does next, it will be as danceable and as catchy and as beautiful as all the other stuff, you know? Mm, I love that you love her so much. It's really bringing really joy do. today. <laughs> I just like, she is, people don't realize she's really laid some of the DNA and the groundwork for some of the smart pop that we're hearing right now. Lord takes so much of her cues from Robin and Body Talk. Someone like Charlie XCX does the same. Someone like Lana Del Rey, who is blurring the lines between indie, emo, heartbreak rock, and pop, a lot of that comes from Robin too. You know, we can hear her imprint on the radio in Pitchfork still today. Ooh, yes, and we hope to hear it forever and ever now. But Sam, we gotta leave it at there. We're out of time, okay. and I know you have a, a plane to catch. So thank you so much for being here. <laughs> thank you, sir. Talk soon. All right, well up next, Alex and I are responding to a few more of your tweets. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Well, we wanted to know what news is inspiring you and giving you hope this week. Kamal Ben Yunus tweeted, not a damn thing. The news has left me hopeless and helpless. Ooh. Which, like, that's real. That's a real thing. There are weeks when I'm like, can I just crawl into bed and not look at my phone? But then my phone is in my bed, so. So, no, <laughs> can't, so you can't, can't escape no, it. No, but I always say, like, feel your feelings. Always good. Yes. Like, sometimes if you're just feeling down, like, you just gotta get it out of your system. Yep, and let people know. Yep. Caring is caring. Mm -hmm. All right, we wanted to know what's something you did to celebrate a breakup, and Anna Jean said, Flew to London for a two-week solo vacay. Okay, that is a really good reaction to a breakup. I love that. Yeah. I hope you found someone out there. <laughs> a, little, a, little, a little London love. There you go. I can't even think of like an innuendo. Yeah, for what it oh, would be. Oh, one just came and went. Okay, like, all right. And Princess Leia added, Last breakup after sitting on the communal bathroom crying into my friend, I went to Walmart and bought like three boxes of blonde hair dye and tried to go blonde. Needless to say, that didn't look the best, so I dyed it back and then drank a lot of wine. Probably on a Tuesday. On a I Tuesday. Support you. I support you, Mr. So, as someone who also loves a hair transformation, mm -hmm. like I love that that is a good way to like get your feelings sure. out of your system. As cutting so. my hair is a way to in which I like meditate. I think it's my only meditation. Like hair treatment for some reason is like psychological. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know where that came from. Huh. We'll, we'll discuss more we'll, after this. We'll thing yeah. All right, well, thank you to our guests, Rebecca Lopez, Jessica Maison Piccolo, Sam Sanders, Jesse Wu, Terrence Jay, and the cast of Freestyle Love Supreme. We'll be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. with more AM to DM. Have a great day.